Hello and welcome to Into the Wild, the podcast that brings you wildlife facts, conservation updates and nature stories from the professionals to you. This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. As the world opens up and we're able to venture forth and go and explore again, it's essential that we have the kit we need so we don't leave nature hotspots disappointed. With that in mind, I cannot recommend Leica Spot Optics enough. Leica not only have a great range of optics for a wide range of uses, but they also offer finance plans to help people like me that would rather pay bit by bit. I'm currently using the Leica HD Ultravids, and now I can clearly see all the birds that I am also still unable to identify. Read more about Leica's range via their website in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks for clicking play on the pod. We've had quite a few new followers on social media and subscribers come through recently, so I should say, if you're a new listener, welcome. Welcome to Into the Wild. This is my voice. This is what I sound like. Um, Get used to it. (laughs) That, that's that. I've got nothing more to say on that. Um, if you're a regular listener and you've come back, thanks. Thanks for that. Right, that's the admin done. <laughs> it's so warm under this dressing gown. I, do you know what? I love summer, but I can't wait for it to cool down a little bit. Um, how have you all been? I hope you've had a lovely week. Um, it still feels a bit stressful at the moment. I don't know what. I don't know if you're all feeling this at the moment, but there seems to just be so much constantly popping up so i hope you're all all right um what's happened to me in the last week um oh i saw my first house spider which i don't want to overreact but it scared the living shit out of me it really did because now i'm not scared of spiders but if they suddenly appear it does make me jump and i was watching cruella on disney plus why have i said that why have i admitted i was watching cruella on disney plus <laughs> And one just scattered across my foot and I screamed, Riley, my dog, barked and I went into the kitchen and got a glass. I used to put them in, like, round by my garden shed bit, right? But I don't have a garden anymore. I've moved house. I didn't know what to do with them. So I contacted my nature-loving pal, Lucy Lapwing, and said, Lucy, what do you do when you find a house spider? And she said, I move them and put them into the kitchen. Really? Do people do that? I don't think I'm ready for that level of commitment. I don't want to. I don't want to harm them. Of course I don't. I'm not sure my housemate. I've just got my housemate on board for doing refillable detergents. I don't think she's ready for me to set up a house spider hotel in the kitchen. That's going to take a bit of while. But anyway, anyway, that's been my week, <laughs> full of thrills and excitement with house spiders. It is house spider season though. If anyone's had any massive house spiders and you got some pictures send them in and i'll tweet and i'll email them or tag us on social media into wild pod you know the deal anyway um let's get on with some positivity because like i said it's been a bit of a been a bit of a heavy couple of weeks and i'm hoping it's going to get better but i have found with the help of some friends and social media some four positive nature stories for our 60 second nature news it's never 60 seconds i'm not changing the name because i'm a stubborn mule no offense to mules any mules listening? No offence. But let's um, have a look. Let's start this. I probably should have not had three beers before doing 60 Second Nature. By the way, I hope... I hope... Is this the only podcast, the UK nature podcast, where the host admits to being a little bit tipsy as he's hosting it? I hope so. Got to, got to have a brand, haven't we? Um, right, okay, here we go. This is 60 Second Nature News... Let's go. Indonesia has announced a plan to restore 15 deteriorating lakes across the country by 2024. The ecosystem of these lakes has been degraded largely by human-related activities such as pollution, logging and destructive fishing practices. Observers have welcomed the new policy, saying that the strategies outlined appear to address the threats faced by the lakes. These lakes are crucial in supporting the livelihoods of local communities as they serve a source of fresh water, as flood control and as sites for fish farming and tourism. Long-time listeners of the show will remember Chantelle Lindsay, who came on to talk about London wildlife. The Great Northwood Project in London has been successful in obtaining 250k 
pay of new funding for the project through the Green Recovery Challenge Fund. The aim of the fund is to support the creation and retention of jobs, plant almost a million trees and boost nature recovery across the country. All of this means that the project has essentially been extended till January 2023. Many aspects will stay the same, but there are some changes such as taking on various projects at eight additional sites across the Great Northwood area. At RSPB Middleton Lakes, Bittens have <laughs> have successfully raised five young, marking the first recorded breeding success of this species in the West Midlands for more than a hundred years. And finally, blue whales are returning to Spain's Atlantic coast decades after they were hunted to near extinction. An individual was spotted off Isla Cias in mid-August of this year and several other individuals have been spotted in the same area since 2017. And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. Woo! Okay, that was 60 Second Nature News. Oh, that was a... That was hard after three beers and under a dressing gown, sweating. Um, sorry, that was a bit too much information. It's so hot under this. Anyone that does voiceovers, not in a studio and has to sit under a duvet or anything like that, you will understand. I'm, I'm like in a sauna. If my girlfriend walked in the room now, she'd think I was up to something. <laughs> oh God, that was too much. That was too far. Sorry. Apologies. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on to today's show. Absolutely buzzing for this chat because it was talking about my favourite type of animal. We finally got there. 70 odd episodes later, we are finally talking about Ryan's favourite type of animal and that is crocodilians. About a couple of months ago, I come across someone on social media that was sharing some wonderful baby photos of American alligators and I was like I need to I need to follow this person this is someone I need to know and and, and see their content <laughs> because I absolutely adore crocodilians and as I got to know this person I was like wow they're actually doing some pretty cool research as well joining me on today I had a hair in my mouth isn't it weird that a hair in your mouth everything has to stop in anything, whatever you're doing, if there's a hair in your mouth, like nothing can continue. Sorry, two seconds. Blah, blah, blah. What? A... So annoying. This is why I hate having long hair. Sorry. <laughs> um, joining me on today's show is herpetologist Laura Kojima. Laura um, is currently studying and researching into how American alligators react to changes within their environment. It is so interesting to hear that that kind of research is happening especially with the amount of changes we're seeing in ecosystems around the world due to the climate crisis and pollution and all things like this um and we also had a bit of a nerd out over crocodilians so there's plenty of chat and there is also an amazing impression competition from myself and laura about who does the best baby crocodilian impression spoilers laura wins so i hope you enjoy this episode if you're a crocodile or crocodilian fan you can absolutely love it um this is crocodilians with laura kojima laura welcome to into the wild i've got to say actually one thing i've got to say is that i am five to ten percent disappointed there's not a crocodile in the room with you right now Oh man, I should have went into the room where we have baby gators. I'm actually right next to a room that has a bunch of little hatchlings in it. Are you actually? You're right yes. next door to it. I was so close. So, so close. close. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you've got to tweet me a picture after this chat yes, of the baby alligator. <laughs> I will. I definitely will. I have a video uploaded actually of um, one of them just floating like spread eagle was that the one yes i saw it yes. <laughs> i proper chilled i loved it i saw it i was like that is me that is that gate yes. right there um well laura thank you so much for joining me on this episode of into the wild i am buzzing for this chat i've said to you in an email i've already said it before we press record today but crocodilians are my all-time favorite animal i don't know what it is about them whether they're so prehistoric whether they're so impressive and diverse within a very small group as well but I just absolutely love them as animals. But before we get on to talking about them, let's quickly talk about yourself. So Laura, can you tell us who you are and what is it you do? So I'm a graduate student with the University of Georgia, and I'm doing my research at the Savannah River Ecology Lab in South Carolina. And basically, I would say like 
an alligator ecotoxicologist at this point. I have. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really love herpetology and like all reptiles and conservation based research, but I've done a lot of conservation based stuff in my undergrad and after I graduated mm. with my bachelor's. I'm originally from California, so I was um, doing all my research there. And once I saw the opportunity to do something kind of different and work with alligators of all creatures, I was like, I have to take it. So I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing my master's right now looking at um, how alligators interact with contaminants in their environment and just seeing how it That's potentially incredible. impacts their movement behavior. Well, that's also super like important research to be doing currently, right? Exactly. There's so many different contaminants that are entering the environment. And mm. I think people just kind of disregard it because what you don't directly see, it's easier to ignore. But <laughs> yeah, um, so true. Yeah. <laughs> but when you start having animals that can be good indicators for, well, this is how environments are currently doing. And this is what might end up happening if we continue to let these contaminants persist. Um, the, the research is really important. So we're basically using these alligators here on a known contaminated site as biological indicators so assessing how the environment's health is doing using these animals because they're long-lived top predators and they're super durable to any type of contaminant exposure that's amazing and like we we joked at the beginning when you said that there's baby gators next door but i've got to ask this is it like just incredible to be around these animals pretty much day in day out a hundred percent i'll go in and just stare at the baby gators that are <laughs> in that room because they're i work with the adults and my colleagues i have three lab mates they're all doing different projects with the babies and their projects are definitely more conservation based so just making sure that different chemicals in the environment aren't impacting their survival and what are the implications mm. if they are and so I just will go in and like stare at them because it doesn't it doesn't like bother their project basically. And I made sure to ask permission. And so I'll literally go in there. They have an incubation room in a different building. And so I'll go in and stare at them and we put them in mason jars when they're in their egg and they're starting to pip. So when they're basically beginning to hatch. Oh my God. And so I'll just look at the jars and they'll be like sleeping or you'll just see the little like nose sticking out. It's so cute. <laughs> I've just got this image now of you, like, lab, white coat, like, just, you know, clipboard, walking around, all professional, and going, oh, a little out again, and that. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> what we do. Cute. We'll just we'll grab them and have them just, like, sit in our hand because their bellies are so cute, and they kind of are just like, what are you, like, leave me alone. <laughs> we are Their bellies are so soft. Oh, yes. They're so, so soft. Oh, yes. it's amazing. I love them. So another question is, like, again, talking about yourself, you obviously adore wildlife and nature, but what would you say wildlife and nature means specifically to you? There's my my um, like professional answer, and I have a like a Laura <laughs> answer. My Laura answer is it means I get to be around like organisms that I like that. Basically, I don't get to have to be around people. I'm an extrovert, but <laughs> I like that I get to work with things that aren't going to make me like second guess myself. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to explain that best. I just like not being around people. I think at we times. get it. I certainly get what you mean. <laughs> yes. But I guess my professional answer would more so be I guess just like the freedom and understanding of something that you'll never really have a definitive answer. You can come up with different like hypotheses and predictions based off of what you observe or what you experiment. But mm. like these organisms are just kind of out there living their lives and it's so neat being out in nature and getting to like put yourself in that place like where you get a day in yeah. and day out at least in like my, my research going out on a boat seeing an alligator and just being like why are you doing that like why are you out right now what was your motivation is it the weather is there a mate that you're trying to pursue I don't know how to best explain that, but I just like the immersion is what I really enjoy about wildlife and nature. Just kind of something that you'll never truly get to experience, but you still get to be a part of. It's like looking through a window into another world. Exactly. Our current world. Yes. You know what I mean, it's still part of where we are, but it's. I think the way our society and life has gone is so, we always say this on the show, so sorry listeners for repeating it, but we're so detached away from that. Yes, 100%. But then, 
being with wildlife now seems to be more like taking a glimpse into another universe almost. Yes, that's exactly. You said it better than I could said it, but that, that, that's like how I was processing it in my head. Is It's just like you're in a whole other, I don't know, existence, a different realm, basically. But it's nice because you look mesmerized by it, which is even, even better. It brings your answer to life. Yes. I mean, I, I grew up in like such a a small little apartment. Um, and so I mm. didn't really have too much exposure to nature until I think my undergrad education, I literally like, Oh wow. my major just sounded really cool to me. I didn't know what I was going to get out of it. Cause I didn't realize wildlife research was even like a thing until yeah. after my <laughs> first year of undergrad. And my major was literally in wildlife fish conservation biology, but either assume that people were using that to do like lab work or experimental stuff and not necessarily, I didn't know that field work was a thing until I was like actually immersed into it. So it was really cool just being able to get that perspective of, okay, now when I go out in nature, I look at it completely differently as a wildlife biologist. It's not just like going on a hike for exercise or like, let's get some outdoors time. It's look at these different organisms interacting with each other. And this is why this organism's here. And like, just, I, I think That's of it so, so cool. broader now. And it, it's really uh, yeah, neat. Yeah. Your walks must take so much longer. I know. Now. Yeah. Especially if I'm herping, if I'm looking for like flipping logs and rocks, looking for snakes, I have to plan my walks, like with who I go with accordingly. Like I need to make sure that yes. people Do you? are like, either you're a hurt person or you're not. And I'll like prevent myself from flipping a rock. That's really funny because you know what? I went for a walk on the weekend and I was with my girlfriend and her friend. And her friend, first time joining us for a walk, and I kind of forgot he was there. And I had my camera. So we're like walking. I'm like, oh, one minute. And he thought I was just doing up my shoelace. But I had my camera trying to take a picture of just an orb spider on a web really close up. And he was like, can we, sorry, how long is this going to take? And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry, you've not done this before, have you? (laughs) These walks take a long time. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And don't even get me started if I see like an alligator in like a swamp area and I'm with my other like alligator research friends and I'm just like, I want to catch it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. Why would you not? Um, I wasn't going to plan on asking you this, but obviously you've always been into herpetology or like, you know, the herps. Did you know that crocodilians was one side you were going to go down or is that kind of an accidental route? It was a weird coincidence. So I'm Mexican-American and I had the choice of having a quinceanera, which is like celebrating your 15th year womanhood basically um or my mom was like we can do a trip within like the u.s i believe her like we didn't have that much money so i believe her like regulation was like at least if it's in the the u.s we can go and do something and so i was watching this show with my dad called axman that had like um, people in the bayou basically like doing some logging and there's this like <laughs> super hillbilly Louisiana man who would just like go in the water and like he would grab a log and it ended up being like an alligator or something and it was just like it was ridiculous and um and so I told my mom I want to go to New Orleans so I can go to the bayou and go to a swamp and see because <laughs> I wanted a people watch basically <laughs> And so we did a swamp tour and we ended up getting to interact with alligators and they had a little baby alligator that they like gave to us. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. And we were like feeding alligators like marshmallows and hot dog pieces because that, that's how they used to like attract them. <laughs> that's not the first them. time I've heard that. Yeah, that's what yeah. they used to attract them. These alligators, they're so smart. They know when people have like food and they can be, that's why everyone says, are there signs that say don't feed wildlife because if you end up like getting an alligator used to being fed, you're going to have one come and chase you because it's going to think you have food. And it's going to be pissed off when you do Exactly. And so... (laughs) That's when you become the food. Right? A hundred percent. And so that's how I kind of like got interested in alligators and always had a soft spot for them. And so when I was an undergrad, I just really liked reptiles. I've always had a fixation Mm -hmm. with them. I was initially pre-vet, so I worked with a veterinarian who's also a herpetologist. That's when I really realized, okay, I just want to work with these animals and research is probably the best route for that. I don't really, I love dogs and cats, but I realized I didn't want to be a vet because I just wanted to be around the herps. And so once I saw my master's position listed, I was just like, I've been waiting for this day to work with alligators. Like I work with a crocodilian, (laughs) but I wanted to stay in at least my home country. So it worked out really well that 
just the timing and everything lined up. But I kind of always had wanted to work with a crocodilian before. That's amazing. It's such a cool job. I'm so envious. Um, <laughs> I really because I just absolutely love them. And obviously being here in, in England, they're not like, you can't go to many places to go and see them. And, uh, you, you know, you'd yeah. rather see them in the wild. So I know why I love crocodilians, all of the families and all the species of them, but why do you love them so much? What is it about the animal itself that really you're like, wow, they're they're amazing? They're just so okay, my first answer is they're so funny looking. I just love their like morphology <laughs> with their eyes like literally sitting on the top of their head. If you touch yeah. the snout, they'll just like open their mouths and they have a a very weak like closing force so you can close them pretty easily there's some like crocodilian sanctuary people that'll at least with alligators because they're more gentle they'll just like touch the Mm. top of their nose and close their mouths i would never do that i'm too like just cautious when it comes to getting bit because you can lose a limb yeah but i think that's fair exactly (laughs) i love their morphology they're one of the few reptiles that have parental care so like the moms actually like stay with the babies for the first three years of lives and they're like really defensive and I'm not the biggest fan of birds but I love how bird-like they are (laughs) like I will have to say the like attributes that birds have that crocodilians have like gotten because they're so close on the like phylogeny um have really like just made them such a unique reptile overall you have no idea that line you just said about not being that much a fan of a bird is so apt on this podcast <laughs> because I am not that interested in birds and I've made it overly clear on the podcast. My friends in undergrad <laughs> hated me for it because they all were birders and I was the only hurt person. And I was just like, you guys have a, are a little too intense about this. Like, I didn't bother yeah. me as much until... I was like, okay, now I'm going to be very obvious about not liking birds because you guys are just so obnoxious about it. It is, it's, it is that, and I've, I've said this, and I can feel a rant coming on again now. But it's, <laughs> it's honestly, do you know what it is? It's like, it's do you remember when Green Day were good and then they changed and the fans changed? It was the fans that made me not like Green Day anymore. Exactly, and that's what it is with birds. It's the birders that make me not interested in birds. Yes, 100%. <laughs> it's just too pretentious. The birders can be very pretentious. <laughs> I'm going to get so many emails now, Laura. Oh, no. So many emails. <laughs> oh, God. I can read them now. I had to do an episode about getting Ryan into birding just to build some bridges again. But anyway, we're not talking about <laughs> birds. Let's not do it. Um, no, but I, I agree. I think... Because that's why I like them. Like you said, the way they look. And I think for me... When I first saw one in the wild, I was like, holy <sighs> they're massive. Yeah. Obviously, like I said, being in England, you don't see them. You might see some dwarf caiman in a zoo or something like that, and which are amazing. And, you know, we'll get to about six foot, but you don't really... The size of like 15, 16, 17 foot doesn't mean anything to you until you see it. And when you see it in the exactly. wild, you're like... That's insane. And the thing like, is, is you so can big. think of length, but you also don't realize like how wide they are. And the males yeah. can be so stocky. And at least with like crocodiles, I think crocodiles are so mm. much scarier than alligators because their teeth, <laughs> their, so teeth their overall look is just way more intimidating. Whereas alligators have such a softer look to them, which makes them like kind of yeah. more cuter, I guess. But I might be biased because I am around them all the they time. They do have a softer. It's because they have an overbite. That that's why. Uh, uh, it's crocodiles <laughs> have um, their teeth show both on the bottom and the top, whereas alligators only their top teeth show. So the overbite oh. is like super. Like I don't know, just <laughs> like a Simpsons character. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they had an overbite. Yes. Oh god, they're like me at fourteen. Oh, no. oh how embarrassing for them. <laughs> well, oh, that, that, but you're right. They do have a softer look about them. I've never considered that mm-hmm. before. Despite the fact they can still be as big, but yeah, they really do have a softer, cuter. I mean, crocodiles are cute. They are cute, but you are right. They've got that that look of like I'm ready. Yes, like, exactly. <laughs> and they have sharp, I a sharper to. like snout too. Crocodiles are, mm. they say like the B-shaped snout, whereas alligators have a U-shaped. And I think like sharp features typically are associated with like being more deceiving or whatever. So I think just that whole combination makes yeah. crocodiles more intimidating. <laughs> um, and what ones have you worked with 
thus far out of all the species? Or Only alligators so far. Um, okay. I would like to hop on and help out at least with some crocodile projects and I'm hoping to collaborate with some people that I know that are doing stuff in like South America or the Caribbean mm. just even like visit their projects to get to be around these animals in nature but um so far only alligators and depending on what route I decide to take after my masters it might just be alligators or I might end up yeah. trying to do some stuff maybe in Florida with crocodile the american crocs and both alligators but we'll see um, it depends on the job market <laughs> yeah yeah let's see what's out there um so alligator might be the answer to this question um or at least american alligator but do you have a favorite species of crocodilian i really like gharials because they're so funny looking alligators will always be yeah. my favorite now because they were like my first introduction and just the full yeah. circle of getting to work with them but I think Gariel, and Gariel tends to be kind of a cliche answer, I've noticed, because everyone loves them since they're <laughs> endangered. But um, Gariels are really neat, too. But I also, I would say, really like black caimans. They're really pretty. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. I, I was, you know, my answer would be Gariels as well, because I just don't think you can't not like the way they look. Oh, yeah. They're so dumb looking. Like, that's, <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> what's that for what is does that have a reason i guess somehow it's an effective way for them to catch fish having those like narrow snouts they just kind of like scoop it and then do that chomp motion and swallow i mean when i've seen the alligator we have um outreach alligators here when i've seen him eat he usually will grab it's like a dead roadkill he'll grab it and then like they don't necessarily like chew he'll just kind of like chomp it to break I think break it down a little bit more so that when he swallows it, it'll yeah. break down. I think in the case of gharials, it's obviously they can't chew with their teeth sticking out. <laughs> so it's just like an effective stab and then swallow mechanism. I just, whenever I see them, I'm like, how do you not get fish just stuck? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, how oh, it's so long. Why have you made your mouth so long? Yes. Like, it's like a really spiky conveyor belt. Like you must, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, the fact that they don't, I assume, on a regular basis anyway. Somehow um, it works impressive. for them. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's not question it. It works for them. You know, you do you. <laughs> so let's talk about crocodilians as a whole. So how many species are there? Okay, so the IUCN, they say that there's 24. I've read that there's recently been 26 documented. Okay. I don't know if that's because they're including subspecies, but from what I mostly have seen, it's been 24, but I think it's still like up in the air because of how many species have been going extinct or if maybe there's even just undocumented species out there or subspecies because of habitat fragmentation and all of that. But yeah, I'm going to go with 24 for now. <laughs> okay, nice. And how are these separated into groups? Because like we've we've already we've said we've got crocodiles, we've got alligators, we've got gharials. What other kind of groups have we got within the crocodilian family? So there's three families, Crocodilidae, which are all the crocodiles. There's Alligator Day, which are the two alligator species, so American alligator, Chinese alligator, and then all the caimans are put into that group. One of the distinct characteristics between alligator and crocodile is the fourth bottom tooth sticks out on a crocodile, even though crocodiles have like a lot of their bottom teeth kind of zigzagged around. It's the yeah. fourth bottom one that is like the determinant distinguishing physical factor between alligator and crocodile and so i don't believe really? caimans have that fourth tooth but i could be totally wrong and then there's i don't know if i'm going to pronounce this right gavialidae which is the gharial and the false gharial are in that group yes so those are the three families of crocodilians basically Amazing. and how they're broken down i can't believe that fourth tooth thing that's so specific yeah, I know, right? It's um I mean there's so many different other obvious like features between um crocodile yeah. and alligators, <laughs> yeah. but like the two that I at least learned in my like classes I've taken have been like the face shape and the that tooth is usually a good indicator of crocodile versus alligator. That's amazing. How cool is that? Like like you said, there's so other physical features from from just size alone yeah. or snout shape and colour. 
and even where they live, but I didn't realise it would be the fourth tooth on the bottom. Yeah, so very specific. (laughs) Separate them apart. That's amazing. Yes, 100%. And where can we, on on this beautiful planet, where can we find, I I guess we could do this with the three subspecies because it will be different per one yeah. right? where can we find them in the world um asia africa australia and north and south america so it's just europe and antarctica i think are the only continents that they're not found on wow um smaller crocodile species like dwarf crocodiles i believe are those are in like asia so you've got american and you've got chinese alligator mm-hmm. what about alligators but is that, is that the main two large alligator Chinese alligators are actually really small. They're like a stunted version of the American alligators, basically. I love it. And that sounds adorable. Um, and then, like we said, crocodile, we've got Nile crocodile, you've got freshwater crocodile in Australia, you've got saltwater crocodile in Australia. There's an Ornico crocodile. I don't know where those are. I would guess Africa. The mugger crocodile, that's in Asia. Um, oh, the mudder crocodile, yeah. American crocs, those are like around... Central America. I think they might be actually present in like Jamaica. I'm not too sure, but I know they're in, um, those are in like the southernmost tip of Florida in North America. It's interesting how some of these species have never made it. Well, I suppose it's not connecting. I guess there's a lot of ice and cold on the, on the way. As I say, to Europe. No, actually, I can't believe why they. I think it's make it over. the just habitat. Like they need the mixture of like wetland habitat. And I mean, I've never been in Europe, so I don't really know how prevalent that would be but um they they definitely need very specific habitats like the southeast is was just like perfect in the 1800s for crocs and um, american crocs and american alligators but american crocs are just so much more specific that they just kind of got pushed out to the southern tip of florida yeah i was just as you were saying that like actually the I'm trying to think of European habitat now, but it's certainly not swampy, a lot of it. You wouldn't really have, like, marsh or, like, wetlands. Yeah, and a lot of the crocodiles, their their nests are weird. Like, alligators, and this is another really cool thing about them, because, um, like I said, we do work with hatchlings, so we actually collect the mm. eggs from the wild, and we end up re-releasing them mm. back into the wild. But their nests look like bird nests. They're just giant mounds that have just a bunch of like substrate and they use their back legs to kick it up so it's just like crazy to think about that it's not human made because it's just so perfect the way it looks is like really nice like their nests are really well done and i believe crocodiles like dig nest in like sand so that theirs are more like simple just like dirt based or mud based um nests whereas alligators theirs are a lot more involved in my opinion yeah yeah. not to take (laughs) a dig on crocs but it it is really (laughs) impressive seeing stuff like that yeah i know what you mean i've seen both before and i i know exactly what you mean there is one for the alligator there's a lot more foliage on here which gives it a lot more variation in color and stuff 100 percent um what about the diet what about the diet among the species? Because that's got a very huge... Because we're talking about like, these 24 or maybe 26 species range so much in size and also habitat and location. What kind of diet are we looking across the species? I actually am not 100% sure in terms of like if there's any differences between alligators and crocs because I, I would mm. assume based off of their ecology that they have pretty similar feeding ecologies. They're For the most yeah. part, um, cause, and this is another reason why like gharials are endangered is because they're fish feeders, whereas like crocs and alligators have it a bit more easier. They can eat fish in the water. They can get a bird if if it's like perched perfectly and i mean they have a pretty good jump range so they can they have an amazing yeah they can like shoot themselves out to grab a bird but um if there's like a raccoon climbing on a log that's in the water there they go and i mean they're aquatic and terrestrial so they're able to utilize both those habitats to um acquire Mm. prey um they'll eat snakes that are in the water so i think they're just they're generalists, which works really well for preventing um, having a listed species. Whereas, like if you're not a generalist, if you're specializing on a prey item um, or just like a certain subset of prey, again, gharials with fish, 
that's pretty limiting. I've just realised Gurriel's eating fish is like us trying to eat fish with chopsticks, isn't it? <laughs> that must be what it must be like with them. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it is so, so... Like, that must be... They, again, I cannot stress enough, they've nailed it. They seem fine. But yes. that must be what it is like. Yeah, and I mean, overfishing um, is such a problem in Asia, too. And I mean, in, like, every country, um, overfishing, that just ends yeah. up screwing over those animals. Whereas with alligators, like... And crocs, their biggest threat is, and I know this is also a part for gharials or another endangered species, but um, habitat loss ends up being a huge part because if you don't have habitat, you don't yeah. have resources to mate, feed, and do all the things that you need to do to survive. The others have got such a varied diet anyway. That, like you said, it's not like, you know, if one, one prey item goes away, there's going to be like X amount more yes. for them to kind of survive on because you know you look at the crocodiles saltwater crocodiles the size of the price especially nile crocodiles that they take down like taking yeah. a whole zebra into the water exactly is insane and such a risk such a big risk to actually do yeah 100 percent. and they'll eat each other that's the other thing is they'll eat other really? young yeah at least from what i've observed I know this is true of crocs. They are such territorial animals and there's really not much overlap with males. Males have their own like pretty decent sized home ranges. I don't see a lot of, Mm. I put GPS um, tags on my alligators to look at their movement behavior on this area. And I don't see a lot of overlap with the movements. Um, If usually one goes into an area where there's another, that one will end up moving out of the way temporarily until that other alligator goes back to wherever it's like true home ranges. God, that's amazing. And what? And so, so, what is it? Would it be territory clashes that might make them kind of kill and eat each other? Um, they'll either just kill for the sake of like having that uh, territorial expansion, or uh, even just for the sake of like competition for mates. And when it comes to like younger alligators, that's usually the ones that they'll end up eating. Wow. So they'll go out of their way to like properly consume those but sometimes they'll just end up killing because they're territorial like get out get out my way exactly (laughs) at my traps whenever um we trap overnight first thing we do is check the alligators to make sure like they didn't get because we'll have other alligators lingering and they'll quickly swim away when they see our boat because they're bullying the alligators that are in the traps and so we have to make sure if we see an alligator that is bullying the other one we'll usually get that alligator we have a stretcher we'll tie it to the stretcher on the boat and take it with us to check traps and so we've once had two alligators on our boat at a time um, (laughs) while checking traps because we just had to make sure that None of them were getting harassed by maybe a bigger male or something. What do you do with them on the boat? Do they just you just put a top like a jaw support on and then just yeah? Go? We'll 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 tape them. We'll um we have restraints for their legs and their arms, and usually just one of us will like have to sit on it because they'll they'll squirm and <laughs> yeah. And we have a towel that we put over their eyes because once it goes dark for them, they kind of like they relax a lot, and it's a wet towel, so they're like cooled off and everything. Um, but we're working first thing in the morning, so it's not too hot. Yeah, I always find it weird when um, when they say like if you cover the eyes and it goes dark, they're more secure because I can't imagine anything more terrifying. Right. For me, I think they just give up. If I suddenly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> this must be the end. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's funny. And again, this is going to be a varied well answer, I guess. But what's a typical day for a crocodilian? And when I say that, I guess I mean. What's their energy kind of? What's actually that's my question. What's their energy? So if it's a nice day out, like pretty good temperature, twenty five degrees Celsius, that is what I've noticed. Like their optimal activity at with their um, distance moved, and so with that, they'll end up in the morning. The second the sun comes out from wherever they've like rusted, which is usually a little. It's not too inland and. I work on a pond or a lake, sorry, it's called far pond, but I work on a lake. So this like varies based off of different like habitat that they occupy. I'm not really too sure about their wetland ecology, but they'll come out of like the surrounding forest and end up just like hanging out in the water. And usually the smaller ones stick next to like lily pads because it's just easier for them to stay covered. Whereas the bigger ones can actually like afford to just like 
start swimming out in the middle of the lake. We'll sometimes see it and be like, oh, oh is that wow. a piece of driftwood? And nope, it's an alligator. And, nope. and, yeah. and the second they turn their back, you're like, okay, that's a huge alligator. <laughs> um, and, Holy sh- <laughs> yeah, but they're they're so skittish. The second they like see the boat, they'll like sink back like that, or they'll just like splash and like roll themselves into the water. Like it's it's ridiculous That's when they're cool. such big babies. But on what I like know based off of my GPS data, they just kind of randomly swim around. I don't know th- what their motivation necessarily is. To be honest, though, like reptile behavior is just so weird and understudied because of how cryptic they can be but what i'm trying to gather is like some of their environmental motivation for their movement so like what climatic conditions are getting them to make these different movement trajectories and what's the differences between sizes and potentially um what are some implications that their contaminant body burden levels can have on this and with their food is this like i guess because reptiles is such a i find an interesting animal when it comes to their feeding because they can go an incredible length of time without food yes they're really some animals that have very large fat stores and are known really for a very slow digestion with crocodilians is it it kind of feeding every day once a week any opportunity they get would if the opportunity came up would they just take it all the time i think it's opportunistic so i actually last year saw like a six foot alligator with like a three foot carp in its mouth it looked like a dog with a giant bone and it was just swimming around with it all like dumb and we were just deciding like (laughs) yeah we're like do we get this animal because we have a snare which is kind of like a giant lasso for these animals that Mm. we put on a um a pole and we were thinking like oh we can easily get this animal because it's not going to drop its food and it did which i felt so bad that we made it lose its meal um i'm sure it went back for it (laughs) But yeah, I think realistically, given their metabolisms as ectotherms, I don't think they need to Mm. eat more than like once a week, depending on how hot it is. If it ends up being really hot and they're basking and moving a lot, then they'll need to eat more frequently. But they can even go like once a month with a big meal. But I just I do think these animals are so opportunistic. They'll take what they can get. I would bait my traps with raw chicken. So they would go for that whenever they could (laughs) get it. And let's talk about, um, let's talk about what you just said there, because that's really interesting, I find, with herbs, but let's, with crocodilians as well being um, ectotherms. Do you want to explain a little bit what that means? Basically, that means that they rely on their environment for um, warming up. So like with us humans and mammals, endotherms, we have a pretty consistent metabolism and we have to eat every day in order for that food to like convert into energy for us. Um, I'm not too good with biology or biochemistry, so I'm going to try my best to explain this. You've nailed it so far, don't worry. (laughs) Basically, the sun makes them move. Let's go with that. Um, Their environmental (laughs) conditions run their metabolism. I I, I think of it is like a battery the sun is in all like truth it is a battery for them so during the winter most reptiles including alligators will and crocodilians will go into dormancy called brumation and they're still awake so it's not like a true hibernation where like bears are sleeping um they're awake they just have managed to slow down their metabolism to the point that they're not really even functioning in some cases if it ends up being you get a warm day in the winter like i had one of my bigger animals ended up actually like he still moved like he'd have days um he'd go a week without like moving at all and then all of a sudden i'd see him like having some crazy movement trajectory on the lake so they're not at a complete like standstill during that time, but for the most part, they don't need to eat. They don't even need to drink. I've known snakes that don't even need to drink water. They just kind of like shut down for um, yeah. one to three months or even longer. Like they're going to screensaver mode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but those are definitely <laughs> the alligators that are in areas where it snows and they have to stick their nose out of the um, the ice. Those those are the ones that are in <laughs> really? screensaver mode for sure. <laughs> that's brilliant. That is, um, oh, that's so funny. Just their little nose is poking yes, out. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's crazy that they can do that. They Those ones definitely have had to like adapt in a way where their metabolism is just like... No, barely even frozen. working yeah 
<laughs> That's so funny. Um, and we've got to talk, because you mentioned this a while ago, but about the, them being incredible mothers, because I remember watching this on numerous wildlife documentaries from an animal that has such a powerful jaw, certainly closing pressure, powerful jaw, to suddenly switching it to be so delicate in carrying the young is incredible. So what do these animals do that make them great at being mothers? So one big thing unique is the vocalizations that they have. So mothers um, are able to like detect where their babies are based off of their um, distress calls, which literally sounds like a little laser beam. I will do it. But mm, mm. Is what they do. And so, okay, do you know what I was gonna say? We should have a competition of who can do the best oh baby. God. I'm just gonna say crocodile. So okay, right, let's do this now. Come on, because oh, no. it is the best animal noise out there. It so, really Laura, is. You go first. Your, oh God, now I'm like your, just laughing. your best. <laughs> your okay. best impression of a crocodilian baby, any of the species. Okay, go. I have to do alligators. The only one I've like been around enough to do and I'll I'll talk to the babies sometimes they go mm, 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 that's mm. really good that is really <laughs> what everyone says <laughs> that's that's really scarily good I spent a lot of time around these babies <laughs> I tell you what to to show the listeners how good that is um Oscar's going to play a sound of a baby american alligator yes There you go. That's how good that impression... Well, I've got to do mine now. Yes. I don't even know what species this is. I assume this is going to be a saltwater crocodile. Let's go with that. Slash Nile crocodile. (laughs) Because that's what we see the most of in wildlife documentaries. Basically, when I used to watch Steve Irwin. Yeah. I think that's what I'm saying. Okay, right. This is mine. Mm, 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 mm. I notice men make that kind of sound when they do it. One of, one of my <laughs> male colleagues here, he also makes that. And we say, we, we're like, you're so aggressive. <laughs> you're like, you're scaring them. <laughs> I've got to say to listeners, Laura's things. face, when I finished my impression, she looked at me as if to go like, well, it was, it was a noise. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's oh, the thing is I, I had too. I had to get really good at it because when we would do our nighttime work and we were trying to attract some of the bigger animals we saw swimming, I didn't get service enough service to load the calls. And so we would just start doing it and sometimes they would just turn around and end up coming towards our boat because they heard the noise. So Okay, no, you are way more trained at this than I thought you were. <laughs> That that memory just came back to me. I was like, why did I make sure to get good at it? And it was because of that. This was at like four in the morning. So some of these like things just leave my brain. But you've just hustled me. That's what you've just (laughs) done. (laughs) You went, oh, I I can't really do it, but I'll give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out you're Dr. Doolittle of the alligators. (laughs) Oh, if only I could be so lucky. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, but right. So you were saying about their calls. So they call out to their and they're, they're individual to each mother. Did you say are they specific tones and pitches? I don't know because I know that we've observed some like adoption. So I think the only reason mm. why moms would be able to identify her babies would be because there's not like depending on the ecosystem. At times, there's not a lot of overlap of like parents and stuff granted we did see a bunch of nests next to each other so i could be totally incorrect about that but i do think most mothers are kind of like they end up being aware we don't know too much about the their behavior ecology when it comes to their maternal care at least i don't know that much um but (laughs) i do know of like certain dominant females stealing babies from other females. Oh, wow. Yeah, like basically adopting them to the point that they're just like being a theft because they're they didn't have a successful like <laughs> egg mass basically. Like they could have laid eggs, but they oh did they gosh. weren't like fertile. And so yeah. that's been seen in the wild. Um and it, it, this is wow. all purely like observational. So 
it wasn't like a hundred percent verified, but this is coming from people who like were around these alligators for a long time and were aware mm. of, okay, the, this is the female that was seen with babies and all of a sudden she wasn't. And yet this female out of nowhere who didn't even have a nest was seen with babies. So has now got loads yeah, of babies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we do think that like dominant females will steal the babies because somehow it's optimizing their reproduction i don't know because i mean it's not their like biological children but they might that's just what, that's what i was thinking i i have no yeah. idea why that, that would seem more like energetically inefficient but i guess it happens yeah unless it's just a motherhood drive that's so strong that they want to Perhaps, finish it through where they're just like yeah we need to take care of these babies yeah um I I have no idea what necessarily drives that. But in terms of what you mentioned earlier about being able to be so gentle about the jaw thing, they have such a weak Mm. closing force that I wonder if I've never have observed this in the wild. So I'm not sure like if they close their mouths all the way when they transport babies or if they keep it like slightly open so that they're not like just straight up chomping down on their babies. But I've seen babies yes. like hanging out on like the back of the moms too. Like they're just like, it's literally, it's a pod. They'll, they, um, just, yeah, they just hang out around the mom and like linger nearby. What's the collective name? Yeah. It's for... called a pod. The babies together. Is it a pod? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> a pod of gangsters. Yes. That sounds so calm. Right. <laughs> Just a little pot. These babies are like no bigger than like a lizard, so they're they're so small. Yeah. And you said they've got a slow, like a weak closing pressure, but they also have a strong jaw pressure, a bite pressure, don't they? They have a weak opening force. Sorry, that's what it is. Because a weak, yeah, a weak opening because you can literally tie celery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have a strong (laughs) closing force because they can break through steel. But their opening force is, like, pathetic. Like, people have literally used rubber, like, thick rubber bands to close their yeah. mouths. We use tape because you can never be too safe. But it's, it's just amazing, though, as well. Like, that's what I mean. An animal that can have, like, 2,000 pounds per square inch yeah. jaw pressure that then can carry, like, 30 babies in its mouth <laughs> gently picking up one yes. by one. It's like, that's... That's insane. That's such a level of care. Yeah, 100%. These moms mean business. Uh, Yeah, they do. Now, let's talk a bit about their conservation, because you said that some species are threatened and endangered, and especially with the work you're doing as well is is kind of important. So overall, how are species doing globally? Is, Is there... Are the threats similar? Are the some species doing grand? Are some species actually struggling quite a lot? Out of the 24 that have been, like most notably documented there's seven that are critically endangered and four that are vulnerable so like vulnerable threatened so i don't know if that's like that's kind of not the best odds because that's almost half but a lot of it is poaching habitat loss um resource Mm. loss so just like fish depending on what they might specialize in but habitat loss is always like the number one when it comes to these animals getting wiped out like alligators almost went extinct when america was getting colonized and people were mining in a lot of the like wetlands throughout the southeast and their populations declined like 80 percent and it wasn't Jesus. The alligators are actually the reason why the U.S. like put in the Endangered Species Act because people were like relying on their meat for sustenance, for food, the um, skin made good like leather basically. And so um, once the Endangered Species Act went into like effect, their population just bounced back really well. Like they are one of the most successful um, recovery stories, I think, in the world of animals recovering like so quickly. And it's because they have these huge clutches. I mean, they can lay up to like 90 eggs. I mean, granted, those babies will be small, but they can lay anywhere from 30 to 90 eggs. And I think this is where like they were setting aside habitat. So it wasn't even just a matter of no more hunting these animals. It was also like, okay, we need to preserve this habitat so they can like be able to bounce back and have a place to go. That's amazing. Like reducing to 80% and then bouncing back to what they are now is really quite... Yeah. 
is quite a turnaround story. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And what what's being done to help species now? So obviously you've got research like you're doing, and is this similar stuff that's happening around the world? Because I guess I, I mean an animal that lives in water like that could be at risk of being sensitive to so many changes. So I know with like Chinese alligators and Siamese crocs that are both listed, there's a lot of head starts being done. I think with black caimans too, there's head starting, which mm. is basically either a a captive breeding program. So these animals from the wild are brought in um, or eggs from the wild are brought in and they're incubated in a captive setting and they're reared to like a certain age. So um, usually they don't need mom around um, three to five years old. So the only thing with it is per most reptiles, they are really slow growers. So you kind of like don't want to just let them back in the wild immediately after they hatch because they still there's a there's a chance that only 10% of that group is going to survive. Yes, of course, yeah. And so a very successful head starting would probably consist of having these animals in captivity for quite a long time. At least for Chinese alligators, the black caiman and Siamese crocs, they're all relatively like small when they're full grown compared to other crocodilians so there's a good chance that they'd be able to be head started it just would take a lot of resources and perhaps even trying to like power feed them so that they grow without making them fat because <laughs> they can <laughs> crocodilians can definitely get fat <laughs> if we suddenly see a huge spike in obesity in crocodilians <laughs> we know that the studies have gone quite bad <laughs> yes exactly like that diet was poorly managed looking crocs <laughs> Just all of them got sausage fingers. Yes. <laughs> That'd be incredible. And is there anything that people like, if listeners, are li- I mean, obviously, people that are listening in England or the UK may be like, I mean, what the hell can I do to help crocodiles? But our listeners that are American based or Australia based or even anywhere in Asia, like, what, what can people be doing to help animals such as? crocodilians that may not get the normal level of attention that other animals get i do know of one organization i'm going to double check the wildlife conservation society they're doing a lot of work towards um head starting and like rearing from what i know like siamese crocs and they do work for like all other animals so i'm sure there's a big embodiment of different crocodilian species and so if people wanted to donate to them i know i have um because i know the people who like are personally running some of these programs and they're doing a lot of really cool work and research just basically trying to get an overall understanding of these animals life history and like what can be done to help them with their overall like survival and doing better and then just in general i think things that people can do in their everyday life is like keep an eye out on especially like with Floridians if there seems like there's going to be um development in like the Everglades or in areas where a lot of wildlife is known to persist talk to your legislators or sign petitions that show up on your newsfeed it takes two seconds because those signatures really do make a difference when it comes to passing certain things trying to prevent habitat loss because if there's you can head start you can rear all these animals and have them ready to go back in the wild but if they don't have anywhere to go like there's no point and that's the sad truth about it that's a really good point actually and i think we can relate that to so many species because whenever Mm -hmm. we're talking about the conservation of an animal you know habitat loss is almost like a a, it's almost like an overused phrase now i think that it's kind of lost its meaning of what like we mean by habitat loss and with housing development or commercial development or anything like this it's such an easy thing to just happen and go unnoticed like you know the amount we walk around london go oh when did those apartments go up we didn't even notice that yeah exactly and it's probably very similar in america as well oh 100 percent. it's really important to like people listening like yeah if you see a petition to slow stuff down or at least get a report done like yes sign that because these things will happen without these environmental impact reports and having a look so 100 percent My last question to you is if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would it be? Immerse yourself in it. Try to slow down when you are outdoors because everything has its role. Obviously, the only thing that doesn't is like invasive species, (laughs) but um, (laughs) like truly invasive, the ones that cause problems for native wildlife. But I definitely think like slowing down and just trying to actually see what's out there because I think from a wildlife biologist perspective, now that I have this like 
different outlook on nature, I see so much more than I ever would have without it. And I think for anyone who wants to like pursue this career, my number one advice for that would be like advocate for yourself. If you don't put yourself out there and like try to network, it's really hard to get anywhere. And I know I'm fortunate that I'm Mm. like an extrovert by nature. So it was pretty easy for me to do that. It didn't come without some anxiety, but it was relatively like, I'm just good at advocating for myself. But those are the moments that you really want to step out of your comfort zone and like put your you know, your name out there because this field is so much of who you know when it comes down to it. It really makes a huge difference in like getting ahead. And I don't know if that's like the best thing to hear, but I think it's good for everyone to try to advocate for themselves at one point in their life or another. I agree. I think it's a very real bit of life advice. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's probably something that does, like you said, doesn't get said a lot. So yeah, it's very, very true. Laura, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Into the Wild. It's been an absolute treat to talk about, I would say, both of our favourite types of animals. Yeah, thank you for having (laughs) me. I feel like we've just been nerding out. (laughs) <laughs> no worries and don't forget to go next door into the lab and grab me a photo of the alligators because i am buzzing to see what is next door in that <laughs> oh 100 percent. i might get in trouble for this i did do a bit of a halloween photo shoot with some babies that i will send you personally <laughs> they may that or may the not incredible be in a um jack-o'-lantern like trick-or-treat basket that we that has been abandoned oh, near my fine. office and so i kind of got inspired with that that is incredible and i need access to that photo yes. thank you very much <laughs> it wasn't from me <laughs> it wasn't from you i just found it on stock images yes um... so one of my friends thought it was a stock image when i sent it to her <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me it's been an absolute pleasure and i wish you all the best uh, for the rest of the year and for the rest of your research thank you so much thanks for having me this was a blast thanks again for listening everyone if you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work laura is working on then you can do so on social media her tags are in the write-up of this episode and you can also get in touch with me at into the wild pod at gmail.com or on social media at into the wild pod on twitter and into the wild podcast on instagram Whether you just want to say hello or share some thoughts on an episode or even let me know what you want to hear about next. A reminder that any views or opinions expressed in today's show belong to the person who said them and do not represent Into the Wild or anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild aims to always be a free show, however running and producing it is not free. If you'd like to support us by saying thanks and you can do so by buying me a coffee, our Kofi link is in the write-up of this episode. But until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.